Well, good morning. We're just going to continue on with 1 Corinthians. So we're just going to keep we're going to keep going. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, the scripture reading is verses 17 through 34. That sounds right. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part. For there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home. So that when you come together, it will not be for judgment about the other things. I will give directions when I come. It's God's word. Amen. You may be seated. And yeah, kiddos can also go as well. I think Deb and my kiddos are down there waiting for you. So, back in Corinth, and Paul again addressing another issue that has come up in the church. If you remember that quote, um, it was something to the effect of, you know, that the church had more of Corinth in them than the way that the church should have been. And this is just another reminder of that. Again, we've talked about it before, the, these letters, remember Paul isn't writing a systematic theology. He's not just going through, just kind of laying out this and that issue. Whenever he writes to a church, he is dealing with what is happening in that local church community. And so, in Corinth, there's been a lot going on, a lot of issues that he has had to deal with. And some of this harkens back to what he addressed at the very beginning of his letter. 
So, like I like to do, let's keep the context in mind. At the very beginning of 1 Corinthians, what does he deal with? At first, he encourages them of who their identity is as children of God, as saints, shockingly, but that they are saints. And then he goes on to say, but there's issues. And he starts off addressing divisions in the church that some of them there are saying, hey, I follow Paul. Or they're kind of picking groups of Christians, Christian leaders, and identifying with one of them. And then even the super spiritual one saying, well, I'm the one that follows Christ. And so they're kind of picking various sides and that there are divisions there. We've talked a lot about how there is a lot of competition. There's a lot of self-sufficiency. There are various groups. There's kind of a division of, of patrons and patronage, especially in the Greek and Roman world, of, of the wealthy supporting various teachers and divisions between classes, a lot of class issues, and how Paul was a tent maker, kind of identifying in some ways with the lower class, and that the divisions between weak and strong were different than what happened in Romans, but, but were a little bit more of like the elite. And so, Paul again, is showing how this is showing up in the gathering itself. Meaning, when they come together and meet as a church to take the Lord's Supper, to, to rejoice in what Jesus Christ has done, that in the gathering itself, there are also some issues. So not just in that there are divisions and different ones doing things, that there was sexual immorality in the church, which we've addressed, visiting of prostitutes, uh, um, a guy who had what his mother's or his brother's wife, or I forget exactly how it went, but an issue of incest in the particular church. That there was idolatry in the church. And so now he has been turning to this issue of the gathering itself. And so last week was the issue of head coverings and men and women. And so he is dealing with what is happening inside of the gathering at that time and addressing some issues. And so, he says, hey, I do not commend you in what is happening when it comes to your gathering together. Because when you come together, it's not for the better, but it's for the worse. That it's actually worse. It's almost like, why are you gathering? This whole thing is going the wrong way. For in the first place, verse 18, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. So there again is the signal from the back of what began the letter itself that there are divisions and what's interesting is he is mentioning the fact that there are various traditions that are followed that he's following various traditions this is what was happening with this head coverings issue before and then now a tradition that is being passed down what is it communion the lord's supper and what is happening is that in these divisions there are factions that have developed. How is this happening specifically in this passage? Well, you have this issue of people becoming drunk on communion or drunk in the meal that was happening there. And so I think what might be helpful is to get a little bit of context of what was going on there because there's a lot that we might read in. So I thought some things were helpful here and I wanted to read one scholar to kind of give us a possible picture 
Again, we've got to be careful with this stuff because we're kind of, this is God's Word to us. We can't always paint the picture perfectly. Historians, scholars try to think about what was happening there and what writer said this, that, or the other thing. But I think this can kind of help us out some. So, one person said this. These divisions seem to have been created by some more well-to-do members of the congregation treating the agape, that's the Greek word for love, the agape meal like a private dinner party, perhaps a banquet followed by a drinking party. The result of this was that the social stratification of the congregation was overemphasized and exacerbated. A serious division between haves and have-nots was thus threatening the fragile unity of the Corinthian Christian community. Paul is concerned with at least two social facets of the problem, namely the disorderliness and inequality of the proceedings. Pause for a second. What's interesting about that is what does he begin to address a little bit later? Spiritual gifts, orderliness. Obviously, you're going to have disorder if you're having this kind of social break of people feeling left out some getting drunk, which is going to cause chaos in the community. You're going to have a lot of disorderliness happening and not counting the fact that you're going to start to mix spiritual gifts and everything else in there later. Back to what he's saying. Neither of these characteristics was at all unusual at Greco-Roman banquets followed by drinking parties. Even the larger dining rooms and homes were equipped to hold only 9 to 20 people and there were certainly more Corinthian Christians than that. It was the normal practice to rank one's guests in terms of social status, with those of higher status eating with the host in the dining room and others eating elsewhere and getting poor food. The only exception to this rule was during the Saturnalia. Okay, what in the world's that? Saturnalia was a Roman festival, a holiday, in honor of the god of Saturn. And that was held in December. So it almost sounds like almost like what would be Christmas time for us. So at that time, it didn't happen. The only exception to this rule was during the Saturnalia when normal social values were turned upside down for a day and slaves and poor people were treated well. Lucian describes the Saturnalia, contrasting it with the normal practice of Greco-Roman banquet. And this is what he said. This was interesting. So this is a writer back, I think it's a little bit later than this time, but still in kind of that Roman world. Tell them to invite the poor to dinner. Take in four or five at a time. Not as they do nowadays, though, but in a more democratic fashion all having an equal share, no one stuffing himself with dainties with his servant standing waiting for him to eat himself to exhaustion, only letting us glimpse the platter of the remnants of the cake and tell him not to give a whole half of the pig and its head to his master when it's brought in, leaving for the others just the bones. And tell the wine servers not to wait for each of us to ask seven times for a drink, but on one request to pour it out and hand us at once a big cup like they do for their master and let all the guests have the same wine. Where is it laid down that he should get drunk on wine with a fine bouquet while I must burst my belly on new stuff? So, at this particular time, it would be different than what would normally happen. So you have this one festival every single year where they try to kind of flatten everything, more democratic, poor being treated alike as well. But the problem is, is that wasn't normal society. The normal society is you divide. The normal society is maybe... Maybe the rich ones get the better stuff and the poor ones got to kind of sit out there and get the leftovers, so to speak. Here was another writer, Pliny, the Roman writer. And he wasn't always a fan of this. 
He says this, He had separated out small flasks of wine. The first was for himself and us, the second for friends of lesser account, the third for his freedmen and ours. I put the same food before all, I replied, for I invite them for dinner, not for disgrace. Even the freedmen? Yes, I regard them as fellow guests, not freedmen. So Pliny was not always a fan of what was going on there and the way in which things like wine would be handed out. So the point is, is trying to paint a picture of what was going on then at, then at that particular time. And so there are these factions and divisions that would even happen during the celebration or during the dinner party. And in verse 19, he says, I believe in part could be that he was reported. Remember, he's been receiving various reports from members of the congregation of saying what is going on. And so he finds out that, that this is happening. And then he says, well, those who are genuine among you may be recognized. Huh, that's kind of interesting. This might be kind of a wheat and tares issue of showing, well, sometimes the reason why there are factions or divisions is to show the ones who aren't actually even a part of the community. Because sometimes with our life, what happens? Our fruit can show who we are as people. And so it's going to be normal that in the church you're going to have stuff like that happen. Not that it's approving that it happens, not that factions are okay, but that this is kind of what we should expect. This is kind of what we should expect. Jesus, of course, mentioned the same ones. We saw this just in Jesus' community of his 12 disciples, which is going to come up here in just a little bit. That, hey, this kind of stuff is going to happen in, in church. It's not that it's okay, but we should know that. All of us read headlines about churches. Lately, a lot of negative news in um, a lot of churches. And, of course, news likes to report the negative stuff. They don't report all the positive things that the church is doing around evangelicalism or everything else. They're going to they're gonna, uh, point out the bad stuff because that's what's going to get clicks. But either way, again, we need to remember that's what's going to happen sometimes in, in church. When you come together, this is verse 20, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. So that's interesting. Now, of course, they're going to be eating it because he's talking about it right here. But he's saying, hey, it's, you're not even really doing this because it's the Lord's Supper. It's kind of like you're kind of doing your own private dinner party like the culture does and then kind of treating that as the worship experience. It's not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. So again, kind of this idea of what might have happened with their own private parties in that culture. Or maybe bringing their own stuff. Or maybe the patrons separating from the others. One goes hungry. Another gets drunk. So again, the difference between the social status there. You've got people that are, that are not able to eat at all and others that are eating and drinking all that they want. What? I love that, verse 22. So Paul turning, he's not happy now, just saying this makes no sense. This is totally contrary to the good news of the Gospel. This is contrary to what the body of Christ is. Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? It's like, hey, if you want to do kind of your dinner party and invite all of your buddies and divide up or whatever, and he wouldn't have been a big fan of that anyway, but he's just making the contrast of, hey, go do that in your own houses. That's not to be done in the gathering of the saints in celebrating what Jesus has done. 
And another little side thing is we know it's honestly it's not just like this. It's not like these little pieces of of grape juice and then these little tiny things. That's not the way that the meal would have happened then. And I'm going to say things because we don't because it tastes odd sometimes. But all right. Another issue. The point is, it wouldn't have been exactly like this. So sometimes it's hard to first even imagine the, the part of, well, wait a second, wow, we're not walking out drunk. We don't even serve wine here when we do communion. Some churches do. Um, but this is different than what was happening. This is hard even to wrap our heads around it, but that's what was happening in the church. Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? So again, Paul is taking this seriously. The problem is you are human. Those that don't have any, treating the poor in a different way. He is not happy with that at all. And so for us, we may say, well, we just kind of come and we come and we take this and and we're not going to really have that issue even because of the type of culture we live in and the way that we do this. But the issue of your, your attitude towards people that might be lower class than you. It's a serious gospel issue. It's a problem when you develop attitudes of kind of thinking you are above others. That it's a despising of the church of God. It's a humiliation of others who don't have anything to do such a thing around the Lord's Supper. What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. And again, you have to wonder, like, why is he even saying it that way? <laughs> Shall I commend you? Well, of course you wouldn't commend them. But maybe some people were expecting to be commended. It's kind of the normal way that, that we do it in this society. He's like, no way. So he rebukes them. Again, Paul does not have a problem raising an issue and saying that is wrong. He will name it for what it is. In verse 23, For I received, so this is the transition point. So this is the way that it was there. And now he's going to say, hey, I received, I was handed down the tradition, which again starts with very chapter one, that the tradition that I received was from the Lord, the Lord Jesus. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And so what I wanted to do today was kind of contrast what is happening there in their culture and what we've just discussed with what happened when Jesus actually did this, when he gave this. And we see that in John 13. And I was just struck by the massive difference. I don't know that I'm going to read this whole chapter. But as you've heard this read to you and maybe read it later, just think about the difference between what is happening in the Corinthian community and what actually happened on the night when Jesus was betrayed. So one thing that that does is it roots the Lord's Supper in history. He was betrayed at this particular moment in time. And what is happening in their midst? Well, in a sense, not necessarily betrayal, but treating others differently, lesser. And Jesus was completely sold out by one of his own. And so in John 13, sometimes this one gets missed. What does Jesus do on this night? He washes their feet. He washes 
all of their feet. And I was thinking about the differences of all of these men that he has around them. He's washing a zealot, political zealot's foot. He's washing a tax collector, would have been despised by the Jewish people, betrayers. He's washing fishermen, lower class dudes. And so just think about the men around him, the, their backstory, and he is sitting there, in a sense, humiliating himself, not humiliating them. So again, the, the opposite of what is occurring in Corinth. And he's washing their feet. And they're like shocked by this. What are you doing? Because they don't get it yet. They don't get what is actually happening. That Jesus is making himself a servant, making himself lower so that they might be raised up. So Simon Peter, verse 9, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my feet. Finally starts to get it. Jesus said, the one who is bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean and you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him. That was why he said, not all of you are clean. Then he goes on in verse 15, I've given you an example that you should do just as I have done to you. So he's saying, hey, this type of attitude is what you should be doing too. This attitude of washing feet. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. I'm not speaking of all of you. I know whom I have chosen, but the Scripture will be fulfilled. He who ate my bread has lifted his heel against me. I'm telling you this now before it takes place, that when it does take place, you may believe that I am he. Truly, I say to you, whoever receives the one I send receives me, and whoever receives me receives the one who sent me. Again, this whole context of betrayal at this particular moment. After saying these things, Jesus was troubled, testified, I say to you, one of you will betray me. Then they look at each other uncertain. They don't know. They don't get it. They don't, they can't, they're not assuming which one it is. That's how hidden this particular one was. But what, what is hidden will be revealed. That there is even, in a sense, a faction in their midst. One of his disciples whom Jesus loved was reclining at the table of Jesus' side. So Simon Peter motioned to him to ask Jesus of who he was speaking. So that disciple leaning back against Jesus said to him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it's he who I give the morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when they had dipped the morsel, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. And I was struck by that too. The demonic activity. Satan. Yeah, I mean, at this moment of, of getting ready for the cross and the crucifixion and this moment that we celebrate all of the time, the satanic activity that is happening. Betrayal. Factions. What are you going to do? Do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to them. They still don't get it. Some thought because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling them, buy what we need for the feast or that he should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was that night. And I was kind of struck by this next section too. Again, in this context of what's happening in Corinth. Listen to this. When he had gone out, Jesus said, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him at once. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. You'll seek me, and just as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. 
By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So everything that Jesus is doing in this moment is about love. From the washing of feet, the way in which he loves those lower than him, to what is happening with this betrayal, to what he is foreshadowing with what's going to happen to his body. He is calling them. The new commandment is given in that context. And what is happening here in Corinth? Arguing, infighting, social, social classes taking elevation over others. Drunkenness. And Jesus' call for a new commandment was given in the very moment when He was going to self-give Himself and give His life for all of them. So a wake-up call to the church and to the church in Corinth. Verse 24, When He had given thanks, He broke it. And even just struck by that, He had given thanks. Gratitude. So in this moment of betrayal, (laughs) Jesus gives thanks. And in the moment He's about ready to go be crucified, He gives thanks. And He broke it and said, this is My body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me. In the same way also He took the cup after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So, the Lord's Supper. These verses that we read, this verse almost every single week because we are a church that that believes that we should participate this often. That we should be hinged to the good news of the Gospel every single week. But sometimes we kind of take that verse out of what is happening here and just just a good way to refresh ourselves. And wow, that, that, that Paul, when he... We read this verse or ones like it so often and what was happening in Corinth and how opposite it is to what is actually happening at the Lord's Supper and what Jesus is doing. To do it in remembrance of Him. So they would remember, just like most cultures back then, they would would remember people that had gone before with some kind of a funeral kind of celebration. And that's what Jesus, in a sense, is doing then. It's a remembrance of what had happened in the past and what He Himself had done. But it was even more than that because it's tied to the future. And so we see that this isn't just a memorial of the past, but the promise of the fact that He had risen again and that He was going to come again. As often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. So the both and. The past and the future tied together in one moment. That's what we do in communion. It is to both look backward and to look forward. And then he says, it's my body. So, without getting into one of the greatest debates of church history over this particular issue and why so many different churches are separate over, there tends to kind of be, just as a brief sketch, there tends to be a... On this end, a more symbolic view that this is kind of just a symbol. The Zwinglian view back in the Protestant Reformation. And if you go all the way to this other side, more of the Roman Catholic transubstantiation kind of becoming and eating the very blood and the sacrifice happening over and over again. And I'm not an expert on any of these. And then you got 
Calvinists and Lutherans debating different things. Lutherans are kind of saying, well, it's, it's in and it's around and it's with. It's consubstantiation is a fancy term. And then Calvinists are saying, well, it's kind of a spiritual union. It's still the body and blood of Christ, but it's not like it's actually physically that, but it's a spiritual through the power of the Holy Spirit and belief and trust that something is really happening in the presence of Jesus Christ. Um, but what I found interesting is he doesn't go into some big, long um, unpacking of what the nature of communion is, except to say, this is my body. But he doesn't go on and then write a bunch of other things. He's dealing with what's happening in the community. He's not dealing with, with so much, what are you thinking about the nature of that, which is important. But in this instance, what he's dealing with is their attitudes toward one another about what is actually happening among the body of Jesus Christ, meaning His people. So not so much about the nature of what is happening to the body and blood of Christ, but what is happening in the relational lives of those who are taking it. That's where Paul is going hardcore, so to speak, in this moment. He's saying, you guys are not acting according to what this moment actually is. Which in verse 27, whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. I mean, he's definitely not just treating it as just a simple symbol that doesn't matter that much. And sometimes that can be the danger of... of um, of evangelicalism nowadays. Sometimes we can just kind of treat it. Some churches are like, well, we'll do it once a quarter, once every so often. <laughs> um, and it kind of just becomes this simple thing that you do. Yeah, we get up here and we do this, that, or the other thing and call it good. It's all points to Jesus. So there is something happening here that is wonderful and that is hard to describe. And every single week when we do this, we are participating in that. And how do we know that? We know it is because what is some of the penalties that happen when this is treated as if it's just kind of no big deal? As if just kind of another dinner party. Another thing that we just kind of do, all the common stuff that we do every day. So he says that they will be guilty if they do this in an unworthy manner. Verse 28, let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So he calls for self-examination. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. Anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. If you've noticed in this, remember there's kind of this issue of kind of dinner parties and bringing your own meal and almost treating this as kind of this all gets wrapped up into the same thing. And what do we do when we discern? We make a distinction. We separate things. We say, hey, this is a holy moment. This is something else. You need to discern what you are actually gathering together to do here and are participating in when you come to celebrate the Lord's Supper. Now, there's debate over what discerning the body means. Is he saying discerning the body of Christ, understand what's going on in the body, kind of like this whole issue of context. I think that's probably what it is here because of the context is very much on 
What's happening in the body of Christ? What's happening among His people? How they're treating each other? What they're doing? So he could be saying, hey, if you're going to eat and drink the meal without discerning all else that's going on here, your drunkenness and your elitism and your attitudes against other people, that could be that he's referring to that body the way they are treating other people because they're actually tied to Jesus. What are they? They're, they're unified to Jesus Christ. That's who their identity is. We are all, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, one, one in body tied to Jesus. So when you come, think about your relationships with other people. Examine yourself in that particular way. Or it could just be discerning the body. This is my body. This is, this is my blood given for you. So discerning what it, what it is of what he said in verses 23 to 26. That out of Jesus' own mouth, what he passed down was saying, hey, what you are doing here is representing and you are participating with me. It is me that you are participating in. In remembrance of both what has happened before and the fact that I, embodied, will come again to judge and restore all things. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. So again, sobering. This is supposed to be a sobering moment. It's a celebratory moment because it shows us of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Of the kind, He's brought in any kind of people. Any of you. No matter what status you have in life. Wealth, poor, black, white. You, know, you go down all of the different identity structures. He's saying, all are welcome to the table because I've given my body for you when you trust me. But, it's that celebration, but it's also sobering. It's consider yourself. Consider your relationships with other people. Consider what you think about the body of Christ, your treatment of brothers and sisters in the Lord. Because if you don't, you can drink judgment on yourself. Verse 30, That is why many of you are weak and ill and some have died or fallen asleep. Some translations say it. Say, wow. And that wouldn't have been totally foreign in that culture of what you made. Remember, they, they were kind of used to the various rituals when they would participate with to try to you know, sacrifice to the fertility goddess or maybe the war person or this, that, or the other thing. And he's not getting into that type of um, false viewpoint, but there is this sense in which if you take communion in a completely wrong way, not even discerning the body, you don't really care about your other relationships or you don't really, this Jesus thing is really not that big of a deal. Let's kind of treat this in a light way. He's saying some people are actually sick because of that and some people have actually died. Now, that doesn't mean that all sickness and illness and death comes because of, you know, of you took communion wrong one day. <laughs> That's not what it's saying. Just like if, you know, when people have illness, we don't just assume, oh, well, they must have done some big sin or they must have taken communion wrong. No, part of it is just living in a fallen world and that's what happens. But at the same time, while we believe that is kind of the main overarching point, shouldn't necessarily be to go right to, oh, it's your sin. 
But we don't want to go all the way to the other side and just act as if it never is. Because this shows that that can happen. Verse 31, But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world. And I'm always struck by how Paul does this. Or he kind of, he'll make this really intense, you know, like when he handed over the dude to Satan, kind of a thing. Yeah, this guy's going to be handed over to the, to the devil because of what he did, so that his body will be saved one day. Especially when, he, when he gives these, wow, some of you have actually died. And then he's like, well, so that we may not be condemned along with all the world, as if they're still going to be saved. That, that for the believer, discipline could even go as far as death as a way of saving you. And I'm just kind of struck by even in this sobering moment of judgment, Paul's always raising grace right at the end. Grace is always kind of hitting, hitting the peak every single time because that's what the good news of the gospel is. It is the triumph of grace. It is that this is amazing grace. And how for the Christian... It's not so much that you are, it's not a under condemnation, but there could be things that would be done where you might actually die because of what you might have done. But not in the sense of condemnation, in the sense of discipline, in the sense of discipline for restoration. And that's why our view, even of various forms of discipline, whether it's with children, whether it's with um, people in the church, should always be toward the view of restoration and redemption, even sometimes when the discipline is severe. If we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we're disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. Some might say share with one another or the sense of welcome one another. What did Jesus do when He laid down His life? He welcomed sinners to Him. This is a, the table is one of welcoming any kind of sinner. It's not something that's divided by social status. But the attitude of the believer should be welcome one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. The new commandment I give to you. The attitude of, of us Two others should be this one of self-giving, welcoming, waiting love, like Jesus. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home, so that when you come together, it will not be for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So, all of this, our attitude in communion, should be Christ's attitude, which was for others. For others. The welcoming of any kind of sinner. And should be a moment to sometimes pause and to ponder, even in our own hearts, God help me. What are maybe some areas in my life, some, some self-examination that needs to be done, that needs to be repented of? And so I would just encourage you as we prepare to take this, just to take a moment of self-examination. 
not to stay stuck there because ultimately this is to point not to you but to Jesus Christ and to what He has done and to the fact that He will wash and forgive any sinner which is what He did in John 13. And to make sure that our attitudes, the way we view other people, the way we view communion, the, the sober reality of that. But also the celebratory, welcoming, waiting reality of that. Of the good news of the grace of Jesus Christ and that He has given Himself for us so that we might receive that truth and be blessed by that and then go and bless others. So let's sing and let's um, take communion. So let me offer a blessing on the elements in before we sing and then um, during the song if you want to come up and and uh, get a cup. And those who are visiting with us, if you are a believer, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you're welcome to join us um, in communion. And just the way we do this is we'll come up and take the elements and have go back to your seat and, and just wait for us and we'll take it together uh, once everyone's been served. So let's pray. Father, thank you for um, this word today. Thank you for your scriptures that you have given us to be able to uh, read and learn about you and how you want us to relate to you, how you relate to us. And uh, even in things such as this with uh, looking at communion and uh, this, this meal that we take together on a weekly basis and the meaning of it uh, and that we are to take it in a certain way. And Lord, we pray that as we gather this morning that you will use your Holy Spirit to point in each of our individual lives privately, Lord, that uh, if we have sin that we need to confess, if we have things we need to set right, that we'll take that moment to do that uh, this morning. And uh, Lord, we, we pray that as we take this meal together that we might be able to rejoice in remembrance of what it is that you did by sending your son to die on the cross for us and looking forward to the time when he returns and we're able to spend eternity in heaven with him. And Lord, we just thank you for all you do for us. Bless the elements. Bless this time that we uh, are coming together. And we pray that, Lord, you will be honored and glorified by what takes place. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Beautiful. 
this passage kind of cuts against that radical individualism in our culture. And I'm thinking about Paul and the Damascus Road experience and why he is so focused on things like unity and the way in which people treat each other. Remember what Jesus confronted him on on the road to Damascus? You know, you're persecuting me. Persecuting other people. No, you're not just persecuting the church. You're persecuting me. That's how connected Jesus is to his body. You can't go far from thinking about the actual body of Jesus, meaning the physical body of Jesus, and connected to his spiritual body and every other body of the church of Jesus Christ. And so just as we eat and as we drink, we remember Jesus. And by remembering Jesus, we remember his whole body. All of us. This isn't just an isolated me and God moment. It's me and God and all of Believers, and to remember that. I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when He was betrayed took bread. And when He had given thanks, He broke it and He said, This is My body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of Me.
the same way also He took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in My blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of Me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes. Amen. Lord bless you this week. Are we doing another song? Or was that, or was that it? Do we have one more song? We have one more song? Okay. We'll do another song. Awesome. Just making sure. Well, thank you for being here today. Thank you for the visitors that are here. God bless you this week. And let's stand and close with a last song. And can it be? And uh, just as you leave today, might remind you to remember whose child you are. Let's sing.
dismissed. There's some snacks, I believe, in the back if you want to stay in fellowship for a little bit. But have a great week. God bless you.